Our series um, of messages over these uh, weeks has been growing deep, Uh, the idea of growing deeply into our relationship with God, and it's a discipleship focus. It's this idea that as followers of Jesus, we're going beyond just making a decision for Jesus and saying, yes, I want you to be Lord and Savior. It's an acknowledgement of I'm giving my whole life, Lord, to serve you. You you will not only be my Lord and Savior, but you'll be my master. Uh, You'll be the one that I'll follow. I'm I'm looking to you. My eyes are on you for what you want for for my life. And the reason we're doing that is because, and you've seen me put this uh, slide up before, a life that has roots deep in the life of Jesus produces the life that Jesus provides. Let me leave that there for just a moment, because it's kind of like reading a Dr. Seuss book almost, isn't it? (laughs) A little bit of a tongue twister, but, but a life that has roots that go deep into the life of Jesus, right? He is the vine. We're just branches off of the vine. So a life that goes deep into his life produces the type of life that Jesus provides. So a branch, you go out on a, have a limb that grows out from the trunk or the, the base It's just producing what life it's getting out of that trunk. It's not making up its own life. It's just generating life out of what that tree can provide. And so if it's not attached to that tree, it's not producing life. It's going to die off and wither. And so we recognize that's the very words of Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What a challenge that is. What a challenge because in my own capacities, I sometimes think there's so much I can do. And, and there's giftings and there's, there's talents and there's resources that each of us brings to the table. And so it's not discrediting that. It's just saying if we want to pr- produce out of our lives the life of Jesus, and he says he wants to give us abundant life. So if we want that life, we really have to be grafted in, strongly rooted into the life of Jesus Christ. And then it can produce that type of life, the abundant life that he promises. Because if we, we, if we don't really get ourselves into him deeply and life into Jesus, then, then we get a kind of this hybrid type of life. <laughs> we get something that's a, a lot of me and some of Jesus and some of the culture around me and, and some of my upbringing is when I was younger. And so there can be a, a big mix there. And what we want is, is the same thing that John the Baptist said. As his disciples saw Jesus, John the, Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples saw him and they followed after Jesus. And, and some of John's disciples said, everybody's going after him. They're worried about John. They're saying, John, you know, you had this big crowd. You had people gathering while you were baptizing. And now they're, now they're all pursuing Jesus. And John's saying, yes, he must increase and I must decrease. More of him, less of me. And that, that should be the heart cry of every follower, every disciple of Jesus. Not that we're, we don't mean anything, not that we're small or he doesn't care about us. It just means that more of his life in us and through us, he needs to increase in our life so that, so that what I experience, what people experience out of me is more of Jesus. Isn't that a, isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that, that they would see you, Lord, that they would experience you by knowing me. But what a powerful desire, what a powerful prayer that is for each one of us. So last week, we considered this idea that we can only fix what we're aware of. 
So in us, if there's something that's not rooted in Christ, if there's something that reflects more of our, of our earthly upbringing, it, it represents more of our cultural influences than it does the kingdom of God. But I, I can only fix or change those things that I'm actually aware of, the things that come to my understanding or come to the surface. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm just going to look at the outside and I'm going to think, well, everything's okay, or depending on if my circumstances change, now it's not okay. And I'm just going to be up and down and just reading the tea leaves of everything that's kind of happening around me instead of really taking a look inside. So we, it, it's kind of like if we go to a doctor if you went to a doctor and, and she said, uh, well, it looks like you're okay. You're breathing and, you know, you, you look pretty happy. I guess we're okay. Go ahead and go on out the door. You would say, what a terrible doctor. <laughs> she didn't do anything that she needed to do to really diagnose what's happening because I don't feel well inside. Something's wrong. But if they just looked on the outside and said, well, overall, you look pretty good. Have a good day. You would think that, that's a terrible doctor. No, they take considerable time. They, they do blood draws. They do blood draws. I'm a little queasy when it comes to that, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they take your temperature, just some basic things. Um, you know, they'll, if it's bones, they'll do x-rays or they'll do scans to find out what's going on inside, right? Because they really want to be able to diagnose. They, want, they need a bigger picture. They need more than just what they see on the surface. They need to see inside stuff to, to make a good diagnosis of what's going on. And, and it, it's, it's so true of our spiritual life, too. We can't just look on all the outside stuff around us and go, well, life is working or life isn't working. I'm doing well or I'm doing poorly. We have to be able to see what's happening inside our heart. We have to be able to see the types of things and beliefs that we have about who we are and who God is and how He's working in our, in our life. So if that's true of us spiritually, it can be really difficult for us to get into that, some of that inner stuff. Sometimes we, we believe things that aren't necessarily true about ourselves. And we, we listen to things that people say about us that may or may not be true about ourselves. And, and so we can have a skewed perspective, and I know I've done that before. I've, I've put forward a, an appearance of being really confident and feeling in control, and on the inside, I'm feeling really uncertain, and, and I'm kind of scared about what's going on. And so, it, it's important that we actually understand what's happening beneath the surface. And, and last week, here's what we identified about self-awareness as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Self-awareness is the process whereby the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to what is true about us. The Holy Spirit has great ability wonderful ability to reveal what's really happening inside of us. In fact, He knows us better than we know ourselves. God sees us completely clearly. There's, there's no illusions. There's no confusion about who we are. And I'm talking about the good and the bad. Sometimes we believe negative things about ourselves that are not true. We're convinced of it because we had a sibling or we had a parent or a teacher who told us, well, you're this, or you'll never be that. And so we've held on to that for years, and, and we hold on to it, and we believe it, and we replay that same verbiage over in our minds, and we come to a similar situation, and then we just crumple under it because we believe that thing that's not true about ourselves. The Holy Spirit 
has great capacity to reveal the things that are true about us and bring that to the surface so that we too can see it and we can believe it and we can hold on to it. He reveals things about lies that we're believing and he reveals things that are untrue that we think we're good at that we need help with. I, I've always had a good understanding about what I'm good at in sports and what I'm not good at. At baseball, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I played baseball one season. And I figured out, I didn't figure it out when I was younger, but I figured it out when I was older, I have trouble with depth perception when it comes to spatial, how things are coming in. So I can catch a football, larger object, closer in proximity, and the speed at which it's coming to me. Basketball, bigger ball, round hoop, I can get it. Baseball, you're hurling a thing, you know, the, the size of an apple, you know, and it's coming as fast as you can throw it, it's coming at me. And I can't tell you how many times I swung at a ball that hit me in the knuckles. I didn't know where it was coming. I just saw something coming fast, and I didn't know where it was coming. Out in the outfield, standing up, and I'm, I'm gathering it, and it's dropping over here. You know, I, I was not helpful. But see, that perception, that understanding, if you're good at something, you're not good at something, the Holy Spirit can help you with that too. You think, well, I think, and I've had times like this with the Lord, I think I'm doing pretty good. I've shared this from Sunday morning before. I told the Lord, I think I'm doing pretty good. God, I went to Bible school, and I've followed you all along, and, and you know, I'm just kind of, now I'm church planting, I'm feeling pretty good. And this voice, just not audible, but I could just, in my cure, <laughs> I could hear it, and he says, grow up. And I thought, whoa. You know, here I was patting myself on the back of how good I'm doing, how how, you know, much I'm maturing and everything. And he says, grow up. You're not there yet. There's more work to be done. I still want to work in your life. And you can't just sit back and say, all this stuff I did is good enough. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of my pride and my arrogance. And so that's what he does, the self-awareness piece. When we accept Christ, we receive his Holy Spirit. And he is so good at taking from the Father and taking from heaven and bringing it to earth and revealing what's in us and bringing it to the surface so we can bring it before him. And, and that's what his desire is. Isn't, he doesn't bring these things up so that he can finger wag at us and shame us and ridicule us and make us feel small. He brings it before us so that we can be known and we can know and we can be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ, that we can be more and more made in his image, made more free, made more whole in his presence. Well, this morning, I want us to pray as we come to the passage, Matthew chapter 5, it's the Beatitudes, and uh, it's important for us, in contrast to looking at all the external things and determining, here's one way we can determine what's really going on. Instead of just using those externals, which is a temptation, huge temptation for so many of us, is here's one way that we can understand how to read what's really going on inside of us. So, Let's pray as we come to, to Matthew 5. Lord, thank you that your word is transformational. Thank you that it, that it quickens us to know more of you, but also more about ourselves. And so it's not just a one-way street, Lord. We're not just growing by more knowledge of you, but we're growing by more knowledge of you and how you're showing what's happening inside of our own hearts. 
And so we give ourselves to that process. We give ourselves to discipleship, Lord, where we're transformed more into who you are by submitting to your word, by recognizing the power and authority of your word, and Holy Spirit, by submitting and opening up to you and allowing you to speak to us, to work in us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, Jesus has a large crowd that's, that's gathered and uh, he takes the disciples, they go up on the hillside, which allows him then to speak to a large group of people. They can hear him, it's almost like an amphitheater setting, to where he can speak to them and, and uh, they, they can hear this long teachings. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but it's, it's really just a, a series of messages where Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God is like. And that was constantly what Jesus was doing as he walked from town to town, village to village. Uh, he was talking about the kingdom of God. He was healing, bringing the presence of God. But he was really pushing against the culture of the day. He was helping them to see what you're living in is not exactly like what the kingdom is like. And so he kept having to teach them the contrast, kind of a compare-contrast approach to here's what you're saying, here's what you're experiencing, here's what the kingdom of God is like. And it would often kind of brush up against what their own experience was. It would brush up against the culture of the day. And so it was almost like a, wow, that's not what I thought. That's not what I thought God was like. That's not what I thought the kingdom was like. And Jesus was regularly doing this. In Matthew 5, 1 through 10, as he speaks about who is blessed, this is one of those moments. He is putting people back on their heels and they're in a little bit of shock. And you'll see why as we read through the Beatitudes. He says, seeing the, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on, uh, up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I put at the end of that passage, hashtag blessed. <laughs> you know, people like to put hashtags. Over things, right? Hashtag blessed, you know, hashtag. But have you ever noticed that usually that follows if somebody says, I'm blessed, I'm feeling blessed. It typically follows, I have the best wife in the world, hashtag blessed. Or I have, love my home, love living in Western Colorado, blessed, so blessed. Abs yes, absolutely. Those are reasons to say, I am blessed, I'm, I'm thankful. But do you ever see anybody say, Feeling meek today, hashtag blessed. <laughs> I'm in poverty of spirit, hashtag blessed. It's always when it's the really good stuff, right? We say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed because it's all, this is the good stuff. My kids, love my kids, and rightfully so, I'm blessed. Jesus is giving us this real challenging passage, and it was challenging for them as well. Hmm. 
I've never seen anybody say, I'm in mourning today, I'm blessed. But that's something that Jesus highlights. It's contradictory to what we think of as blessing. So before you feel like I'm getting down on us, myself, us, and how we look at blessings, we understand this is a humanity thing. This isn't just our culture. This isn't just us. This is, this is all of humanity for all of time. Interpreting life through the outer circumstances instead of interpreting life through what's happening in the inner person. It's one of the reasons that Jesus addresses it with his crowd. The people of his time had the same exact perspective that we have. That if life is going well, God is favoring you and therefore you must be doing the right things. If you had wealth and health, you were graced by God and you were doing it right. Here's Matthew 19. I don't have it on the screen, but let me read it for you. Matthew 19, 23 to 26. Jesus said to his disciples, he, he just, let me preface it. He just had this interaction with a, a rich man who was really struggling when Jesus said, give all of your things away and then come follow me. He leaves Jesus because he's not ready to give that up. And Jesus has this follow-up conversation with his disciples who are still standing there after this man walks away, essentially saying, I can't do that. I can't leave my wealth. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Here's the perspective. This man goes away and Jesus says, It is so tough for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. Is it because they're wealthy and God doesn't like wealth? Nope. That's not it. That's not it. It's this thing of self-sufficiency. It's so difficult for them to recognize they need a Savior because they have abundance. Life seems like it's working okay. Life seems like it's together because I have wealth. I'm blessed. Life works for me. Why would I not be accepted into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, he confronts the rich man and he says, now go give it all away and then let's, let's join together. Walk the roads with me. Be humble. Don't have a home. Just walk these dirt roads and we'll go from place to place and you'll see the kingdom of God. He says, nope. So Jesus turns to the disciples. He tells them how difficult, oh, it is so difficult for a rich person, somebody who has affluence, somebody who has means to take care of life on their own, which by the way includes me. It probably includes most of us sitting here this morning. There are exceptions, but in, in our culture, most of us have the means to take care of ourselves. We don't need God to pay the mortgage. In fact, there's thousands upon thousands of people outside of these walls because of the affluence of our country and good paying jobs and other things. We're able to take care of things. And Jesus says it's so difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom because... They end up being so self-sufficient, they don't see their need for God. But the disciples don't hear that. The disciples just hear him say, oh, it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom. And in their mindset, to be rich, to be wealthy, was you've already been blessed by God. 
you are favored by God and that's why you're wealthy to begin with. And so it blows their mind and they say, who then can enter the kingdom? If the rich don't get in, if it's difficult for them, what hope is it for us? I mean, they're already experiencing God's blessing. They're already favored by God. That's why they're rich. And Jesus doesn't go deeply into that, but he just essentially says, well, with man it's impossible, with God it's possible. With God it's possible for them to to make a way in. The astonishment to the disciples that it would be difficult for the rich to enter. Why would it be difficult for them and not, not for us? I mean, it seems like us who are already struggling with life, in their view, it would be difficult for us. But Jesus flips the script and he says, no, They see no need for God. They're self-sufficient. They have what they need. They can make life work without Him. So he addresses this issue of the outward signs of blessing don't really indicate what's happening on the inside. That's true for all of us, isn't it? We know that. We've had times where things on the outside, everybody would say, it seems like life is working for you. But on the inside, you would say, life is not working well at all. Aside from, yes, bills getting paid and having family and people and friendships and relationships, but inside, life is not working well. I'm struggling. I'm having a difficult time. So I don't think there's any illusion with anybody in this room that the outside determines what's really happening with an individual's life. And yet, we're so tempted to fall into that. I'm so tempted to give in to that and just say, well, if life is working, it seems like it's okay. There's probably nothing that God wants to address with me. (laughs) If life seems to be moving pretty well, God probably feels like he's doing okay with me and I'm okay with him and there's nothing that needs to happen in my life in terms of my discipleship because it's moving pretty good and I'm feeling pretty good and I'm enjoying church services and I'm enjoying my devotions and And so there must not be really anything that God wants to address in my life. In fact, the outward signs can create a deception of sufficiency that everything else is good. That because somehow I'm blessed by all of those external factors that that God must be somehow pleased with me and therefore I don't need to do any inward looking. I don't need to have God speak to me. But the truth is that can be a deception. I can be, you can be deceived by things seemingly going just fine by outward appearance, but not addressing what's happening inside. So that's the first thing I just want to highlight before we go into the Beatitudes a little bit deeper. Outward blessings in my life may be God's kindness, but they can also be a stumbling block to self-sufficiency. I decide. I get to decide whether those blessings are going to be my self-sufficiency or whether I'm going to not acknowledge them as God's total blessing that I have to address anything or if I really can bring my whole self to Him. That That I need to not interpret everything from the outside of blessing, that everything is okay, but I continually submit myself to Him. The reason I identify life, may, it may be God's kindness. Anything God gives to us is, is kindness and his, his gracious hand towards us. So I'm not saying that sometimes God is kind to us by letting us have blessings. I'm saying sometimes I can acknowledge it as God's kindness and mercy, but I could also identify it as 
a stumbling block for my own self-sufficiency. How I use those blessings in my life determines what it becomes. I need to, you need to, like a doctor, look beyond those outward signs and see how much I'm involved in those things that diagnose spiritual conditions. Lord, am I allowing your Holy Spirit access, open and free access to my heart, to my thoughts, to my motives, to speak to me on a regular basis? Am I allowing your word to search me, to know me, to, to, to work through me? Am I allowing the word to come alive and to speak into my life and to even bring conviction of areas that, that maybe I'm not fully surrendered to you? In this case, the measuring stick is the Beatitudes that we're looking at. So let me go through it just slowly and just kind of ask you a couple questions. And have this frame in mind, if you would, this, this uh, question in mind. How am I interpreting the blessings in my life right now? How am I interpreting the blessings in my life right now? Because I'm blessed in areas, am I interpreting that, that God is okay with all of those? And there's only certain areas that need to be addressed? Or am I just recognizing God blesses me irrespective sometimes of whether I'm worthy of it or whether I'm doing the right thing or not? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' encouragement here isn't that we all walk around like Eeyores. You know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? He's, you know, how are you doing? Oh, okay, I guess. You know, just always, just, you, you don't want to talk to it. You know, it's just, Eeyore, find something to be happy about. I mean, come on. Jesus isn't telling us that we have to all walk around depressed. Poor in spirit doesn't mean heavy sadness all the time and, and you know, disappointed in life, everything about life. It just means that I, I have this poverty of spirit that means I need what God has. I need to be full of what God has for me. I don't have a sufficiency of spirit. I have a poverty of spirit. In and of myself, I'm not filled up. In and of myself, my tank is empty. What I have to, to, to bring to the world is really not helpful. So that recognition that I have a poverty of spirit says I need to receive from God on a regular basis in order to be filled up. In order to have something to offer out of my life, I have to have time with Jesus. I have to be, have time in His Word. I have to have time in prayer so that there's anything in me that really is, is able to offer for, for me to have fullness of life, but even to offer to others as well. We're using a, a, a book uh, in, our, in our studies of emotionally healthy spirituality from Pete Scazzaro. And one thing that Peter says over and over, he says, you cannot give what you don't possess. You cannot give away what you yourself do not possess. And that's part of the crisis in the church in America is that we have so many things that we're giving out, but how much of it is coming out of the root in Jesus Christ and the depths of our relationship with Christ and how much of it is out of our own self-sufficiency? Because I have it, because I, have, because I read it somewhere, I can pass that along. Or because I you know, just have out of my own wealth, I can give out of that. How much of it comes from our life with God and how much of it just comes out of us? So Jesus is addressing this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. I don't get kingdom of heaven if I'm pulling it out of the kingdom of earth and just giving out of my own resource. I have to be impoverished enough in spirit and recognize that what I want to give, what I need to give, needs to come from heaven into my life before I can turn around and give it out. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The question comes up, well, what, what am I supposed to mourn? What, what should I mourn? You know, let me give you an example of something that, that struck me a few years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago. Um, I'm sitting down watching the news one night. And uh, this is a little bit graphic, but the news can be that way. <laughs> and uh, on the news came a story about a couple who delivered their baby. And uh, I don't know the circumstances of what drove them to this, but they delivered the baby not at a hospital, but they delivered it at home and then um, placed it in a dumpster. So the child was found at the dumpster. Blessed are those who mourn. So they can find comfort. If you want to know what we can mourn about, turn on the news. Look outside your neighbors, uh, your neighborhood, the needs that exist. Look a few seats over to somebody in our congregation who's dealing with their own grief and loss. Mourn with those who mourn. Grieve with those who are grieving. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We're blessed when we can mourn. We're blessed when we can feel deeply enough that we can empathize with others that we can see the pain in this world and we can, like Jesus who looked at Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem, he said, oh, I would have gathered you together as a mother does her little ones. I would have gathered you in, but you would not have it. And Jesus wept over the city. Blessed are those who mourn because then we can be comforted. If, if I persist I'm not allowing myself to be affected by the hurts of this world, by the hurts of others. If I, if I insist on having life always be okay and happy, and I'm not going to be intruded upon by grieving and mourning, then my heart will become hardened and untouched by the pain and the affliction that so many people around me are feeling, and it will look nothing like Jesus. Because Jesus hurts with those who are hurting He's touched by the affliction of those around us. And only when we feel that mourning can we truly receive comfort. Can we ourselves accept the comfort that comes from heaven? We can push through. We can cover it over. We can just turn off the news and not pay attention to what's happening in the world. We can feel. 
And that's at the very heart. Can I tell you that's at the very heart of knowing Jesus? Isn't that he just takes away everything and allows you not to feel anything? No, no, no. (laughs) Knowing Jesus, he wants you to feel everything more acutely, everything more alive than you've ever been before. But he wants you to have a place to take it to. Following Christ isn't about denying life as it is. Following Christ is about being more alive than you've ever been before and not allowing those hurts or challenges, difficulties, those pains to rule and dictate you, but allowing you to come before your heavenly father and have a comforter who walks with you through it so that you don't have to be numb. You don't have to have addictive behaviors. You don't have to have pills. You don't have to have other things in this life to cause you to live at a numbing point but allows you to be more alive than you've ever been before, feel more than you've ever felt before, but also receive more life from Father God than you've ever experienced before. That's what we can mourn over. That's what we can celebrate over. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Totally (laughs) countercultural. This is not how we operate, especially in our country. We would say, if we were to rewrite the Beatitudes, this one would read something like, blessed are the louder and the forceful, you know, the more dominant and forceful, for they will take control, you know, something that way. We pound fists, we shout. One of Jerry, you know, I was going to say something tongue-in-cheek. One of the reasons Jerry doesn't like the news as much is because sometimes you get in those political talks and they're talking over the top of each other and you got three people talking at once, right? That is, if you want to know the essence of blessed are the meek, that ain't it. <laughs> that's, that's the way we do, right? That's the way we do it in our culture is you're going to try to say something, I'm going to dominate you and I'm going to come over the top of you. No, no, no. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. <laughs> blessed are those who come just in the kingdom of heaven and just remember he says, who's the greatest among you? the one who is the servant of all. Completely different culture that the kingdom of God brings to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, that outward appetites, outward things, they'll never be quenched. But if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will find your satisfaction in him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I know I blazed through those last ones, but let me encourage you, just go through the Beatitudes over this coming week. Because in Jesus' teaching, here's what he was pushing against, again, is the culture says that here's how you live life. All of these outward things, you dominate, you find ways to cope, you find ways to get by. You don't have to worry about other people, just worry about yourself. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven and he said, these are kingdom values. So if you want to know what's happening inside of you, you want to know if I'm dis- you're discipling, if I'm discipling with Jesus... This is a mirror. You hold yourself up to these things. Lord, where is meekness? Where can I see meekness in my life? As I hold that mirror up, am I seeing myself 
act with humility and compassion? Am I able to mourn with those who are mourning? Or do I put up defenses and hardness against others? Am I showing mercy to people? Or is my mantra, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. Judgment is what you deserve. Judgment is what they deserve. They deserve to be judged. They deserve the harshest penalties. Is that what's coming out of my mouth consistently? Or are people hearing mercy? Compassion. These things are intended to be a mirror for us. Another way in which the word reflects back to us what's in our heart and understanding what's happening within us. So it's a great opportunity. The Holy Spirit is one. We invite him. We sit quietly and we listen while he speaks to us. The word is another that as we read it, it reflects back to us. If we'll take the time and not just read it through as a passage, but if we take time and read each line and we say, Lord, am I a peacemaker? When have I been making peace? How have I been making peace lately? What does that look like? Have I been doing it? If not, then Holy Spirit, come and work in me this act of peace to help me advocate on behalf of the kingdom and and live as an advocate of the kingdom. Here's a good prayer related to the blessings because I can get caught up in just using those externals as my measuring stick instead of allowing the word to reflect back to me what's happening. Jesus, help me interpret what are blessings and what are traps. Help me see what you're bringing to me in hardships. Help me see what you're bringing to me in these hardships. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that God is against blessings. (laughs) I'm not saying that he brings to you only hardships or he wants to cause hardships in your life. What I am saying is that we face hardships of many kinds. (laughs) Scripture identifies that. And we will face trials and hardships, difficulties of many kinds. The question is, is am I going to interpret those as something that God isn't working through and I need to get them out of my life or is it something that God can speak to me through those hardships? Am I going to allow them to bring out the Beatitudes? Allow me to be merciful. Allow me to be meek. Allow me to be a peacemaker. Allow me to have poverty of spirit so I can receive what God has for me.